Well, if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, please turn with me to the letter to 1 Corinthians. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we'll be looking at verses 6 through 9 this morning. Now, without a doubt, there is a certain curiosity that children have. Now, I know our children are very curious, and for you who have children and grandchildren, or blings even, or yourself, <laughs> you know just how curious children are. And they're always asking all sorts of questions, like, what's that? And, you know, why do you need to do that? And what does this mean? And what does that mean? And what in the world is that? And why in the world are you doing that? And so on and so on and so on. Questions without end. And so they want to understand. They want to know about things. And that's a good thing. Yet there is a sort of knowing that is off. That goes beyond children and even goes right into and among all of us. You know, remember back in Genesis chapter 3, there was a moment when wanting to know and acting upon that desire to know turned out very, very badly. They abandoned the wisdom of God for the wisdom of man, such that now it's possible that you can know a good deal, you can know many things, and yet the Bible would call you a fool. And this is part of what Paul, he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. So it's possible to know, but not know. It's possible to have the wisdom of man and not the wisdom of God. It's possible even to have Jesus standing right before you and crucify him without recognizing who you just crucified. And so it is that Paul here lifts high what we are to preach. And what kind of wisdom we as believers are to exemplify in every area of life. So to see this, let's read here then, beginning with verse 1 of chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians. So may God bless the reading and receiving of his word this morning. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. 
Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Now, so far, this letter has in many ways been a course in humility. (laughs) And if you have been here walking through this letter so far, you have felt that, you have experienced that, and hopefully you have taken up the exhortations in these verses here preceding the ones we're in this morning. So Paul, he has made clear the centrality of God's grace in our being believers, in God's calling us, in choosing the foolish to shame the wise, right? And the weak to shame the strong. And even with Paul, Paul's preaching itself. He did not come in his own strength. So how did he come? Well, he came dependent on God, not himself. Not his oratory, not his rhetoric, but on God and the one powerful, life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. And so here, Paul, he zooms in like he did in verses 17 through chapter 2, verse 5. So there, he zoomed in, if you remember, in on Christ, and he zoomed in on the cross, and he zoomed in on God's calling... And he zoomed in on the wisdom of God in contrast to the wisdom of man. Here, in our verses this morning, he zooms in on verses 4 and 5 of chapter 2. And he focuses here as well with the rest of chapter 2, examining the difference between the wisdom of men and spirit-wrought wisdom. And so he begins here then in verse 6 and 7 with predestined, divinely revealed wisdom. Predestined, divinely revealed wisdom. Now as Paul explains all of this in verse 6, he goes into deep waters. Now what do I mean? Well, deep as in like deep Waters that things that are very profound and even difficult to comprehend and to wrap our minds around. Now, as we kind of press on in these verses here this morning, and you may not see it right now, like, well, how is that the case? Well, we'll soon see it very specifically how this is the case and how these are indeed deep waters. Well, as we do that, you wrestle with some of these things and even other parts of Paul's letters, you're not alone. You're in good company. So even the Apostle Peter, he said this as well, didn't he? That Paul's letters were at times hard 
to understand. Now, it doesn't mean you can't understand them. Not that you shouldn't labor to understand them. He's saying sometimes they're hard to understand. And yet, Peter said all of that while also saying that his letters are rightly to be considered and received as Scripture, as God's Word. And so you very much see then that you are right to labor in understanding these things. God wants you to understand these things. And not just say, well, it's, this, is too, this is too tough for me. Let's go on to the simpler things. Well, hear God's word this morning. He wants you to understand his word and to believe it. And so come to these verses with open hands, hands ready to receive his words as God's words, even as we work hard to understand what Paul is saying here. And even as we work hard to understand a number of things as we continue on in the letter of 1 Corinthians. So on the most basic level, Paul is saying something very simple here, which we all can get and all see almost immediately. He's simply talking about the gospel. Right? Is that, that's not hard? <laughs> we get that well enough? God's revealing of himself as only God can do. The gospel is not something that we have devised, not something that we have come up with, nor even something that we understand really. Like, apart from God helping you, opening your eyes to receive it, you do not and will not receive it. And even just saying that, you see the complexities. It's simple, just he's talking about the gospel. But then you will not ever receive it apart from God and him helping you understand it. So after Paul has made clear that the world sees the world, wisdom of God, the cross as foolishness, now he makes clear the wisdom of God is wisdom. It is wisdom. The world won't treat it like that. And it does not. All of you know that right now. It looks at all this stuff, even what we're doing right now this morning, as just silly, as foolishness. But Paul is saying, this is where the wisdom is. Not in what the world is saying. But what, in what, but what, it, what, is what God is saying here in these verses and even throughout the Bible. So after he says that among the mature... Or here he says that among the mature, he does impart wisdom. And so in that, we see that wisdom is good. And there is a wisdom that is good. But what is this, this wisdom for the mature? Wisdom for the mature is humble, Christ-centered wisdom. That's what he's getting at. As you hear that word mature, Paul, he isn't saying there's like these level two Christians out there, right? As in, you know, down here, here we are as level one Christians. You know, we know Jesus and all and everything like that. 
but we haven't quite reached level two yet, you know? We, we need to know more. We need to do a bit more. We need to have some sort of second experience of grace before finally we reach up to level two. That's not it. That's not what he's saying here. In fact, he's been working hard so the Corinthians and you and I won't say that. The mature are those who are taking up the cross and they are appropriating the cross, they are applying the cross of Jesus Christ in their day-to-day life. There's maturity. Applying these things, doctrinally beliefs and all these things, right into everything they're doing in their lives. They're living out the ramifications and implications of the cross. So Paul, he sees Corinthians here who are a mess, and we know they're a mess, and we just kind of keep on seeing that they're a mess in these verses. And he is calling them to be defined by the cross. To, as he will say in verse 16, which we'll get to, Lord willing, next Sunday, to be defined by the mind. And this is why his course in humility for you and me is still in season. He wants you and he wants me to appropriate, to apply this self-denying, cross-centered wisdom to our life, to your life. Not an abstract Like I go to church every Sunday and that's it. He wants you to get the cross of Christ into your life, into your words, into your parenting, into your job, into your parent, into your marriage, into all these things. No detachment. And this is the sort of wisdom being imparted to us as believers. A gospel Christ centric wisdom. And this is where he takes us deeper, though. The wisdom imparted to us is God's revealed wisdom before the ages. And we see this in verse 7. And this is hard for us to fully grasp, at least fully comprehend and how it functions. So the first part, that secret and hidden wisdom from God, or this mystery, it's no longer a mystery. What's Paul talking about? He's talking about the gospel. It was secret, and it was hidden within the Godhead, the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and God decreed it before the ages. And there it is. (laughs) Like, Right? I mean, what he is saying literally here, that God foreordained, predestined it before the ages. Those are good biblical words. (laughs) So if you're fainting right now, you're fainting over biblical words. Literally the word here means foreordained, predestined before the ages. Decreed it, foreordained, predestined. So God had planned and purposed this wisdom. His plan of redemption. 
the gospel before time began. We have no concept of that, right? No, like, we only know time. And God planned and purposed that before anything. And this is similar to what Paul says in Titus as well. When he wrote in Titus chapter 1, right there, as he opens it up, greeting the church, greeting Titus. Not to be too complex, right? Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness and hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. And at the proper time, manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. So it is this mystery now revealed the gospel that Paul preaches, that we receive. And that he writes here in verse 7, at the end of verse 7, God predestined for our glory. Now as you hear all of that, your first response to this passage is not to be rejection. If you, have a tr- if you have trouble with what the word is saying here, it's not alerting you to something wrong with the Bible. It's alerting you to something wrong with you in your view of the world, your view of yourself, even your view of God. Alert. Pay attention. God is aiming to correct your view of Him and even of the gospel itself. And so your first response is not to be rejection, but really it is to be wonder. Here we have the wonder of redemption. By saying, for our glory, he's not saying the gospel is ultimately about our praises and our renown. It's for God's glory and our everlasting joy. And you can even see in that why it's, it makes no sense then that we would lift up anything else in our lives as though that thing can bring us only what the gospel can bring us. This everlasting joy that is ours in Jesus Christ. So he's talking about for our glory. The glory of life everlasting. Of being lifted up as inheritors of life. It is and will be for our glory. And friends, you have that now. It's yours. I mean, it puts in perspective the person sitting next to you. If they know Christ, right? They have eternal life just like you do. (laughs) You're on the same level. You and me and all of us who have trusted in Christ, we have this. Glory is ours. Does that not put into perspective then how you live in this world? I mean, are we really going to go bumbling about enjoying the world, like sinful worldly pleasures, as though that 
that that's where joy and eternal everlasting joy is found? Friends, we have glory before us. And it is yours. And so all this is a call to what Paul is saying here. To live according to the realities of this wisdom. I said realities of this wisdom. Not fairy tales, not abstractions, not nice little tales that you tell your children or we teach in Sunday school here. Realities. Facts, capital T, truth. And so the Christian faith, and I cannot say it enough, because in America, specifically, we do not live this way. The Christian faith is a whole life faith. It's to flow over and into everything you and I do. And yet we think, well, the Bible... The gospel doesn't answer this, so I must go to the wisdom of men to find it. So let me give you an example. There are many examples we could give, or I could give, in regard to living according to the realities of this wisdom. But for example, so when believers, they say something to the effect of like, well, I am just this way. This is my personality. This is just the way I do things. That's just the way I am. I'm this or I'm that. So I can't do and I won't do. And I don't do this or I don't do that. Well, I'm just not good at at evangelism. Well, if you say that, there's a problem. I'm not saying like you may not be good at evangelism. But what's behind that is, I'm not going to do evangelism. And if you're saying that, you're saying something contrary to what God is calling you to do, and you need to align your perspective and your life, not with however you think you are, and you need to align it with the Word of God. And there are thousands of areas like that in our lives. It may be like, well, I just don't like being around people. Well, so what? The, the Bible calls you to be around people. And yes, it will be challenging, but do you not think maybe God has included that as part of his plan for sanctifying you and his church? To say that the cross is more valuable to me than my comfort, the loving and obeying, the loving of the saints and the obeying of God's word is the right perspective, not my feelings, whatever they may be. And so in saying things like that, something is misfiring between your understanding of the gospel and how you see the world and even how you see yourself. And why do I say that? Because statements like those fly in the face of the definitive, life-changing, life-shaping, life-altering nature of the cross of Christ and of the gospel. God is calling for every part of your life to be his. This is why Paul, 
he, he says, well, yeah, you're right, personality. Yeah, you're right, those things about you, sorry. <laughs> that God will leave alone. No. What does Paul say of himself in Galatians? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That means there's nothing off the table in my life that the word of God is not. And God does not call you to be changed, to be aligned with his work, and to be aligned with the cross. And so the cross, Jesus, is to shape our words, our tones, our lives through and through. So there's those areas we say are off limits are just the areas we need most shaped the truths of the gospel, of this true wisdom. That would be going on to maturity, a cross-centered wisdom. And so what areas might those be for you? You know, I like to take notes when I'm listening to someone preach. And honestly, it doesn't matter who's preaching. I often fall asleep unless I take notes. <laughs> I mean, you could have John Piper up there, Billy Graham. I better be taking notes or I'm going to fall asleep. <laughs> well, answering that question, what areas might those be for you? This is a time for you to write those down. Because you may not want it, but you do want it (laughs) if you're a believer. You do want your life shaped by the cross. Otherwise, you need to ask, what is going on in me, in my heart? So let this passage do its work on your heart. Even on those deeper waters, portions of this passage. And humbled by the incomparable wisdom of God. Be humbled by the incomparable wisdom of God. There's a word for God's wisdom here. And the word is awesome. (laughs) In his wisdom... Prior to the fall, prior to sin, prior to time itself, God had planned redemption through Christ. It's like, whoa. (laughs) Incredibly wrap your mind around that. Prior to sin, yes. Prior to creating everything, yes. Now, We might wonder about all the inner workings of that, and we might not ever know the inner workings of that in this life. But we must say it's true nonetheless. It's a wisdom that is to defy sin and to defy self and lead us to trust in the infinitely wise God. The only way we could possibly be saved 
is his disclosure of this wisdom. If he said, I'm not going to send my son, we would not have found it. You might be incredibly intelligent, a genius even, one of the most insightful people in the world, yet you cannot obtain nor discover what God alone knows. He alone has the right to reveal or to keep it hidden. Which leads us then to Paul's next word here on wisdom. With unseen, hidden wisdom. So verse 6 through 9. So the wisdom of men cannot and does not and will not reach what God alone must reveal and he must disclose. So here we see the empty, doomed wisdom of this age. The empty, doomed wisdom of this age. Verse 6. Let's read the whole thing again for you. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. Now those words right there, they directly apply to our day. Like now, today. Every culture, including ours right now, has a wisdom of men that is contrary to God's wisdom. Even think of the month that we're in. At least what the world says, the month that we're in. With Pride Month. There is the wisdom of men. And it's always been that way. There's always been a wisdom of men. Contrary to the wisdom of God. And so this directly applies to everything around us. The rulers of our world who live under the wisdom of men are looking to the wrong place for wisdom. Now, as you know, an election is coming, and it will not be too long before we'll be voting, right? We'll be voting for who will be the next president of the United States. Well, in view of passages like this one, this is where the alignment of whatever view you have of the world comes then in alignment with the word of God. As we come to passages like this one, we're to put all of this into perspective. So for the Corinthians, right, they were under Roman rule. What happened to the wisdom of the rulers of their day? Where is it? Where are they now? Where are those rulers now? I mean, you, talk, you might talk about them at the dinner table, but most of you probably don't, right? Caesar, Julius Caesar, you're talking about Julius Caesar every day? Augustus, Octavian, and so on. Are you talking about all these guys? Herod the Great? Unless you're talking about the Bible, <laughs> then you're probably not. So apart from Christ returning... It may well be that people 
in years, decades, centuries to come, say the same of us. Where are their rulers now? Are we really going to put our hope in them, believers? No matter who's being a possible candidate for president of the United States. So again, we're right to ask, where is our center? Will we be like the Corinthians? I follow this person. Remember earlier in the letter, I follow this person. I follow that person. Where Christ is not the center, find division in the church. Every election, yes, we need to vote wisely. We need to vote carefully. But with every election, we need to remember this. The wisdom and rulers of this age are doomed, both physical and spiritual rulers alike. Do you think that will impact how you live? Whose kingdom you're building on? Well, it should. And so through the eyes of the wisdom of men, they did not see. Verse 8, they did not see. It says there in verse 8, none of the rulers of this age understood this. Well, verse 7, we'll read that again so you'll know that this. But we impart a secret in Secret and hidden wisdom of God. Verse 8. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. This inability to see is a common one in Scripture. It happens again and again and again. It's seen in the prophets, right? As they preach their hearts out. You know, they preach the word of God with all their hearts. And no one responds. (laughs) No one answers. No one listens. No one hears. No one sees. You want an example of that? Go to Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. But it's also seen in other places. It's seen in the Gospels. Especially in the Gospel of John. So in the Gospel of John, after Jesus healed a man born blind, and after the Pharisees, they question this man and there's ironies there <laughs> the man just who got was it now able to see and here are the Pharisees who don't see are questioning the man who now can see and so Jesus he meets this man who now can see and we read Jesus say in John chapter 9 verse 39 for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. And some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. They think they see, but they don't see. <laughs> That's why their guilt remains. They don't know the Lord of glory. (laughs) Here he is, right in front of them. Don't know him. Don't understand him. Not going to listen to him. 
If that's true of that day, do you think that'll be true of our day too as we go and preach the word? So in John 9, they didn't see because of Jesus. The blind man did see, not just physically, but spiritually also. And that's still true today. Even now, people are blind to the truth. The people you go to work with, they are blind to the truth. They do not understand. They may know every, they may have every verse in the Bible memorized, and they do not understand it. You know, I remember when I came to faith, I just remember experiencing the opposite of this. Just how incredible it was. It was like these blinders just came off my eyes. These godless lenses came off. And now, for the first time ever, I can see. And everything looks totally different. Like even the trees. (laughs) The trees look different. Because of the gospel and what God has done. His grace. Now I see. Because of him. And seeing for the very first time, and maybe you have experienced this as well, coming to faith and then for the very first time you see everything for the way it is. And it's just wondrous. And your jaw drops. Even seeing the person next to you, if believer or unbeliever, you're just like, I love that person. <laughs> you know, I didn't love him before, but now I do. And I want them to know Jesus. It is Paul, he goes on here to magnify God's wisdom even more. We have verse 9, where we find the greatness of God's love displayed through his wisdom. The greatness of God's love displayed through his wisdom. Now, Paul, he quotes here at least from Isaiah chapter 64, verse 4. And probably is also thinking of Isaiah 65, 17. And he may be thinking of a number of other passages as well. But as Paul, he writes this. He's not pausing everything that we just said and turning to talk about the new heavens and new earth. Do you, do you, can you just see that? Can we all just see, say right now? Like, they can't see the rulers of the earth. They'll be judged. And let's talk about the new heavens and new earth. He's not, he is talking about that indirectly, but it's not the main point he's making. It's actually right in line with what he's been saying. The way we intonate this verse matters. Maybe slowing down. No eye saw, no ear heard, no heart of man imagined. They crucified the Lord of glory. That's the context. In other words, they did not get it. And unbelievers, the rulers of this age, still don't get it. Even more, they can't. Apart from the grace of God. That's the point Paul's making. 
apart from God, opening blind eyes to see, outside of God's calling, His revealing, His saving, they will not see. Yet, at the same time, this does magnify God's love. His grace is displayed through those he has called, through those he has saved, through those he has redeemed. His wisdom given, revealed by the power of the Spirit. His Spirit. Verse 4, you see why it's connecting now? Demonstration of the Spirit and of power. That's great love. And God's great love on display. Even as verse 10, you know it's right in connection to these things. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. So in all this, we need to, if we haven't seen this already, we need to see the inadequacy of the wisdom of men. Our preaching is not to depend on the wisdom of men. And what I mean in part by that is your going or not going is not going to be based on whether they receive you or not. They may say what you're saying is foolishness, and you are to think right back to here to 1 Corinthians. You're to go even as the world sees the gospel as foolishness. Our witness is not to depend on the wisdom of men. We go and preach because of the wisdom and power of God, period. Yes, we're insufficient. Yes, you get nervous. Yes, you're afraid. Yes, you don't know what to say. But you're not depending on yourself. You're depending on God and the power of God to do what you absolutely cannot do. Only God can do it. And what a relief as you go out and share the gospel with others. We're to remember as we read these verses and as we think of a world that does not see, we're to remember Jesus' words that Jill read a moment ago from the gospel of Luke. What did Jesus say? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's the world, world friends. That's your, the people you work with. That's people in your family. That's your children if they don't know Christ. Yet in all that, they are, you are, and all of us are 100% responsible for what we do. When you sin, you sin. You're accountable before God. And the world is, and it will be rightly judged by God as well. Yet at the same time, it's right as we see that, and we know that, that it moves us to compassion as well. Is that not what Jesus was doing? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
as the world rages at you, as we are walking through Pride Month, you are to display Christ to the world. That's compassion. Even when they say, oh, no, no, we're the loving ones, not you. It's the wisdom of men. They can't see. But by the grace of God, you can. As they rage, you display Christ. We're to love others as Christ loved us. So gladly love God and proclaim this wisdom as undeserving recipients of God's grace. This passage does not minimize God's grace. It makes it all the greater, doesn't it? That anyone is saved. If you know Christ this morning, you are those who love God. What God has prepared for those who love Him And guys in here, I don't know if you're like me. You may be like, I'm not going to say I love anything. You know, I'm not saying I love that or love this. I don't want to be mushy. It's right. I love God. You love God. And you're to let that love be full and real. Declaring this revealed wisdom. From the gospel. Let it define you, shape you, change you, and change the world. Your life as a believer is directly connected to the cross of Christ. And our witnesses as believers is to overflow with that same heart. The love of Christ, you know, is to arise in compassion toward a world that is lost and is desperately in need of the gospel. They are blind and God is calling you, church, to go and tell them. Will you go before the Lord with blood on your hands for all those people you have not told? You are called to preach this wisdom, this one simple gospel to them, and to be these things in the world, to be a holy people in the midst of an unholy world. So may we. May we revel in and proclaim revealed wisdom and redemption of God. May we do it. Let this good wisdom in your life, in your lips and through your lips, and in all you do. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today, and I know we have only looked at a few verses this morning. Lord, you have revealed them and you have given them and they are deep but glorious. And so, Father, may we see our own call to respond this morning. 
to see our need to walk in a cross-centered wisdom, true wisdom, to go on to maturity. May we tell our, the lost world about Christ. May you forgive us, Lord, for abandoning, forsaking, and disobeying this call. We pray for those here who may not know you. May you open their eyes and help them see. May they look to Christ, repent, and believe the, the gospel. And so we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.